Welcome back to TanakhCast. This is episode 227. We'll begin the book of Nehemiah with a brief summary of chapters 1 through 3 and follow with some thoughts about walls and what they mean. The book of Nehemiah gets right into it with a quick introduction that sets the scene. Quote, The words of Nehemiah son of Hachaliah and it happened in the month of Kislev in the 20th year of Artaxerxes, when I was in Shushan, the capital. Now, who is this guy? I say, hold up. And why is Hanani coming to him with dire reports of what's happening in Jerusalem? Hold up. And why should God listen to his prayers? Wait a minute. It only becomes clear in the final verse when we learn that Nehemiah is, quote, cupbearer to the king. Although Nehemiah literally pours out wine for the Persian king to drink, cupbearer is also a symbolic title. Nehemiah is a trusted, high-ranking official in the imperial court, despite his lineage, which is testament to the progressiveness and tolerance of Persian culture. So when in chapter 2, Nehemiah is engaging in his cupbearing duties, the king notices that something is amiss. To which Nehemiah replies, quote, May the king live forever. Why would my face not be sad when the city that is the graveyard of my fathers is in ruins and its gates consumed by fire? The king senses that an ask is coming, and it is. Quote, if it please the king, and if your servants seem good before you, send me to Judah, to the city of the graves of my fathers, that I may rebuild it. The king agrees to send Nehemiah for an agreed-upon period of time and provides him with all the necessary letters and authorizations, which irritates Sanballat the Horonite, a leading figure in the Samaritan community, so you can expect some mischief shortly. But in the meantime, Nehemiah arrives and settles in, and after the third day, he cannot sleep, so he slips away from his encampment to Jerusalem, and quote, I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that had been breached, and its gates ravaged by fire. And I passed on to the gate of the spring, and to the king's pool, and there was no room for the beast under me to pass through. And I went up the vadi by night, and inspected the wall, and came back, and entered the gate of the valley, and came back. After this secret inspection, Nehemiah is energized, and he galvanizes the leadership into action. Sanballat hears of this sudden flurry of activity, and responds with derision, and hints at the strategy he will use to undermine the mission. Quote, what is this thing that you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Nehemiah is unmoved. Quote, the God of the heavens, he shall make us prosper, and we are his servants. We shall rise up and build, and you have no share or right or claim in Jerusalem. Chapter 3 begins with a team of Kohanim reconstructing and consecrating the Sheep Gate. They are not alone. For 41 additional teams of workers are also toiling away on sections of the city walls. And predictably, Sanballat is, quote, incensed and angered and mocked the Jews. And he said before his kinsmen and the Samaritan force, and he said, what are the miserable Jews doing? Will they restore? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish on the set day? Will they bring the stones back to life from the dust piles where they are burned? To this, Nehemiah responds with a prayer, quote, Hear, O our God, how we have become an object of scorn, and turn back their insults on their own head, and give them as spoil in a land of captivity. And do not cover their crime and their offense before you. Do not wipe it away, for they have provoked the builders. 
The rebuilding continues, and though the wall is only half its intended height, the entire circumference of the wall is completed. with one contractor, you would know that it's tough going. So imagine what it would be like to work with 42. And yet, this is how Nehemiah intends to complete what's arguably the most important building project for the Jewish people. And yes, I'm sure you're thinking, really, the wall around Jerusalem is the most important building project? What about the temple? Isn't that more important? Reconstructing God's seat on earth, the destination for Jewish pilgrimage and near offering for centuries, the locus of Jewish worship, the navel of the world? Okay, Derry. Derry, okay. On its face, the temple seems like a more significant project, but it also depends on what your goal for building is. If you're looking to reestablish your connection with God, then sure. Except that the Jews of Babylonia were connecting with God even in exile. Ezekiel even functioned as a prophet in exile. And indeed, as we saw in the account in Ezra, the reconstruction was met with much fanfare, but also tears. The sequel was just not as good as the original. But the wall, it had a greater purpose. And that purpose was not necessarily defense of the city, as Nehemiah recounts that all they managed to complete was the first draft, a half-height wall that circled the city, but that it would be heightened later. Any army worth its snuff could easily surmount a half-wall. Clearly, Nehemiah had other ideas here, namely knitting together the Jewish settlement community. Not everyone can work on the temple. You have to be from the right priestly or Levitical family. We read in the book of Ezra how a special call had to be issued amongst the remainers in Babylonia to send the right people over to keep the temple project going. So when Nehemiah press gangs 42 contractors into enlisting 42 teams of workers from all over the Jewish settlement to work on 42 separate sections of the wall, which each team will knit together with the team to their left and to their right. Well, there was more going on here than wall building. The very assembly of a wall, a physical representation of the boundary between in and out, between us and them, between safety and danger, would build the community as it was being built by the community. Walls are a curious thing that way. They denote presence and permanence. We take them for granted when they're up, as if they've been with us since the dawn of time, but we feel uncomfortable about constructing more of them in the present because of what they symbolize. They're not built these days to protect the people inside. The advance of technology has taken care of that. We build walls today specifically to keep people out. Build that wall. Build that wall. Build that wall. Walls, when we build them, quickly establish facts on the ground. So, what if last month you could drive your car from point A to point B? No problem. Today, you can't. Sucks to suck. Move on. Wall builders have power to bend reality. 
The same is true with wall smashers. If a wall represents boundedness, protection, and permanence, a ruined wall symbolizes boundless chaos and the inability to keep in or keep out in the face of that chaos. Jerusalem's wall used to have all of those associations back in the day when all of the city of Jerusalem was contained inside it, and the occupier of the day would lock the gates at night to protect the residents from bandits and, I guess, jackals. But as the city grew in the mid-19th century beyond the capacity of the one square kilometer of walled space, new neighborhoods were established including the Russian compound, Kerem Avraham, the Schneller Orphanage, Bishop Gobat School, and Mishkinot Anim. The wall would now have an additional meaning, as it was described later in 1967 by the song Jerusalem of Gold by Naomi Shemer. Naomi Shemer wrote the original song for the 1967 Israeli Song Festival, though it was not entered into competition. It was performed on May 15th, the night after Israel's 19th Independence Day. At the time, the old city of Jerusalem, surrounded by a wall constructed by the Ottoman Sultan Suleiman the Magnificent between 1537 and 1541, was part of the Hashemite Kingdom of Jordan. Within three weeks, the Six-Day War would break out and the old city would fall into Israeli hands. Naomi Shemer would revise the second verse. Instead of bemoaning the empty marketplaces and the barrenness of the mountains, etc., etc., Shemer wrote, quote, We have returned to the cisterns and the marketplace. The shofar calls out on the Temple Mount in the old city. What would remain intact, however, despite the new facts on the ground, is the second stanza, particularly the line, the city that sits solitary, and in its midst is a wall. This rendering loses a little bit in translation. The last half of the line could also be translated, and at its heart, a wall. Even if it is the dream of slumbering trees and stone, I can't help but read this line as fundamentally sad. Jerusalem is a solitary city, left alone, and her heart is walled off. And it is this city that Nehemiah wants to encircle and wall off, to create a stone fence that, to paraphrase Robert Frost, is supposed to make good neighbors, or at least distance them. In the process, Nehemiah wants to create a Jewish people to enclose them with a structure that will draw a line in the earth and say, Ad Khan, up to here, that's where you are, Samaritans, idolaters, and whatnot, and on this side is where we are, God-fearing, non-intermarrying, temple-attending, and Torah-following Jews. Except the trick is on him, because despite all of his and Ezra's efforts, the barrier doesn't really hinder anyone. Even on Shabbat, when the gates were closed, we'll read in chapter 13 about folks easily bringing in their goods to sell in the market. It begs the question about which other barriers are being breached despite all the efforts to maintain them. If you like what you heard today, spread the word about TanakhCast. Tell a friend about TanakhCast over coffee. Send another friend an email or text, nothing fancy. Help your aunt who just got her first smartphone to download a podcatcher and subscribe to TanakhCast. And if you have a spare moment after all that, write a brief glowing review at Apple Podcasts. Apparently, it helps people who might be interested in a little Bible learning vibe this podcast. And it's also a nice thing to do. If you want to help in an even bigger way, support us at Patreon. 
Just search for TanakhCast at Patreon.com and pledge your shekels either on a one-time or monthly basis and receive special blessings from the Most High. I thank you in advance for that and encourage you to join us again in two weeks for episode 228 when we continue in the book of Nehemiah with chapter 4 through 7.